Good morning. Good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you're listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Can I tell you how many times I wrote that address for people this week who said, I heard a piece. I don't know how I heard a piece. How can I listen in? IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Doesn't get better than this. Um, hi, everybody. Happy end of June. Um, the weather is heating up, and politically, things are heating up. And at Israel News Talk Radio, things are always hot and always happening. Had a beautiful thought. Well, I don't know. You tell me what you think. Had a thought yesterday. I was driving from one corner of our beautiful country to the next. Really, it was just a little strip from Jerusalem. I don't even know how long it took me to drive. I drove to um, my favorite beach, and I'm embarrassed. I mean, I know how to. I, I I learned how to read maps in school, as did everybody listening in who is of a certain generation. Today, kids don't know maps, and um, I drove to the beach called Palmachim, and it's just absolutely beautiful. And even though. You know you're in Israel. Israel smells like Israel. It doesn't smell like Vermont. It doesn't smell like New Mexico. You know you're in Israel. If you were blindfolded and you got off the plane, you'd say, aha, aha, palm trees and diesels. <laughs> and diesel, I'm back in Israel. And yet when I go to this beach, I could be anywhere. And what's so lovely is there are a couple of fresh farm stands along the way on the road, I can't tell you right now because I'm not looking at my map. Um, and it was just a beautiful, it was a blip on an otherwise tense calendar. This is a very nervous country. Even when people say they're not nervous, they're nervous, they're nervous. You don't even have to listen to the news in Israel to be nervous. Planes, soldiers, reality. Checking, you know, we're checked when we go inside and out and out of malls. The reality of living in Israel is that we are a very fragile nation in a sea of enemies. And yet there are pockets, beautiful pockets that can only still have what we call the reach, the fragrance of Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden. And I took one of those. Uh, days yesterday, and I was thinking about the term cancel culture. And um, we, everybody here has a thought, cancel culture, canceling those who express views that are different from the norm, uh, somebody who's not particularly woke today, somebody who questions so many of the I sound like a geezer from the mountains. Some of those newfangled ideas are coming out. You know, anybody who questions the quivering, odd, and ultra status quo is called unwoke. And I thought to myself, well, you know what? I've also been a part of cancel culture, but it's different. And I want to put it past you. Canceling. An early morning cup of coffee with a dear friend because it wasn't convenient. And somebody says, listen, if you're too busy, we'll do it another time. And how often we say, yeah, another time. Canceling a Zoom call with a grandchild who 
wrote an essay for school that she got an A on. That grandchild may not say to you, Grandma, do you want to hear my essay? But we grandmas have to say, hey, I'd like to hear that essay. Because grandchildren also understand when we're too busy. Spouses, parents. What part of the cancel culture are we buying into? It's so short. Whether we're given 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, or the hoped for 120 years, it's never enough. It can't be enough if our lives intertwine, intertwine with bracha, with blessings and joy, with the lives of others. Don't buy into the cancel culture. You know, I'm speaking from a very personal place today. And before we even tell you, I know because people are listening in. Friends, friends who I haven't met yet from the U.S. are listening in. You know what I'm talking about when I'm talking Palmachim. South Africa is with us this morning. And Colombia. And I'm sure others will join. We're always waiting for Canada. And the one thing that I love to think about without actually knowing is that those who are listening in can relate. Even though their lands are different, their governments are different, the finances are different, the topography is different. There are certain things that bind us, that human experience of wanting for those we love, of wanting for ourselves to have less pain, more joy, more material comfort, and less scratching at the ground for our daily bread. And my heart and mind, perhaps it's the advent of summer, because the summers are getting shorter, and the looming high holidays grow closer. And even though I spend a morning on the beach, I still wait to see when, like clockwork, the jellyfish arrive. And then, of course, the advent of the ninth of Av, Tisha B'Av, where we once again acknowledge in the middle of kayaking season, in the middle of sunbathing, in the middle of paragliding, we stop. And we recognize how fragile it all is and how we can get so close to the edge of destruction via our own conceit. And I wanted to share that with you because with all of these various pressures and concerns that are raging in my own personal issues, including Heartache from children. Anybody listening in and has some heartache from children? Did it ever happen to anybody listening in? Can you sense the sarcasm? That heartache flows through us. And it affects the lives of everyone who cares about us. Anybody experiencing the care for or the inability to care for an elderly parent. That parent whose vibrancy evaporates before our eyes while we struggle to maximize our interactions while buoying the spirits of our loved one. 
I wake up in the morning. And after one says, thank you, thank you, God, you've given me another day. What do we go to? Do we stay in these holy spots? No, we think, should I sell the house? Should I hold on to the house? Take the money and run? Or should I redo the floors? Should I be more proactive in my business or be happy with my lot and spend more time with my children, husband, friends, but risk daily financial insecurity? Is my functioning 20-year-old car good enough? Or should I pretend that for safety, I need a much newer, much snazzier model? While I may wax eloquently while trying to paint this portrait of dilemma, there's no dilemma. The art of our days is the art of acceptance. My friend said to me yesterday on the way home from this perfect interlude on the beach, she said, you know, you seem so deliberate that you have this reason for everything. And there was no insult intended. In fact, I was excited to see that this new program that I had personally put into place over the last few years and was bearing fruit. To live with intention, to eat with intention, to interact with meaning and compassion. And the best part of adopting this kind of a lifestyle, and it's hard, it is also labor, it's attention, is that regardless of your bank balance, it's available. You don't need an impressive undergraduate degree. You certainly don't need a master's. But to bite, to take these summer months and to bite into a crunchy strip of red pepper or a raw green bean and be able to notice that imperceptible sweetness within a vibrant green or red color, I have to believe that this allows us entree, just a little entree into what I call a taste of heaven. And you know what? The children see, they see the rush for money. They see the gold grab. They see the judgment of others' attitudes, social status, lack thereof, the mockery of our values, our status and religions. We're different from other ethnicities, they see, and they sound like we sound. How do I know? I've seen it. The children see, they ingest, they absorb, and they copy. So all of us, let's be careful. Let's really be careful because we are living the message that in time we'll leave behind. When we come back, we're going to talk about who loves us, <laughs> who hates us, and those who celebrate along with us. See you on the other side. Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. Hi, I'm Rabbi David Aaron. The soul basics are the most profound 
the most essential, and yet often the most neglected in our education. Join me for Soul Talk on Israel's News Talk Radio and discover the secrets to love, spiritual growth, and personal power. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. Okay, we're back. Andrea Simento, pull up a chair, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I'm just looking at these, <laughs> the preparation, the preparation. You know, I sometimes get my pages mixed up and my printer has a mind of its own. It was a donation. I think I'm getting what I paid for. Anyway, um, yeah, so thanks for staying with us. I just checked out, my uh, the producer just told me some of the actual cities that are listening in or the states. And um, very humbled, very, very humbled. Um, okay, so this one hour, it flies. And you just keep yapping, Andrew. So here, I also had this other thought. I'd like to know what you're thinking. You know, sometimes people drop me notes. I so cherish. I cherish the interaction. And you can reach me if there's something you want to take issue with. Um, if I mention an article or a source, uh, everything here that I speak about is sourced. Believe it or not, I try to <laughs> fabricate very little. So you could write to me, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. That's the way to reach me. Station's great. And um, I read everything. So I also had this, it's crazy how when we do Parsha, we do the Torah portion. We talk about it a great deal, certainly in the third segment of our show. And you know, it never fails. There are always, there's always an event, if not many events that occur during my week that absolutely directly correlate with our Torah portion. And today we're going to read at the end, of the, we're going to talk about um, the cursing, you know, the curses of Balaam, the prophet Balaam, the curses that he put upon Israel, the effects that they had, or the, you know, non-effects thereof, where they were coming from, and as I was driving, I had this thought, you know, it says in um, this book of the Torah, there's a, there's a, I'm translating, it says, you know, you will only view a small portion of his encampment. Uh, I think it was, I'm trying to think who was saying who, I think this was perhaps Balak saying to Bilam, you will only view a small portion of his encampment, but you will not be able to see him entirely. And it was the Kotzer Rebbe who observed 
Those who find fault with the nation of Israel, Klal Yisrael, can only do so if they focus on small segments of the people who don't live up to the high standards of the rest of the nation. However, when viewed as a whole unit, no no fault can be found with the nation of Israel. This is what Balak was impressing upon Bilam. If you want to curse them, go to a place where you can only view a portion of them and focus on them. However, it's it's impossible to curse this entire nation. And I was thinking about that because I, too, fall victim to the, we were talking, my friend and I were talking yesterday about, you know, she had gone to a, a school event of one of her grandchildren, and the ground was covered with litter at one place. And it was so shameful because, you know, we believe in recycling and we believe in keeping clean and cherishing the earth. We've been given this beautiful earth to um, to protect and cherish. And my friend was absolutely crazy. And she said, you know, where is the chinuch? Where is the education? Here was a school event and it looked terrible. Realize this is what we do all over. But when you look at especially our woohoo moments here that we talk about on the station, I mean, Israelis striving the what they're doing in terms of the protection of the world, the protection of Jews universally, the the medical advances, the educational advances. If you want to find something, you want to nitpick, you want to know how badly we'll do, don't worry, I have a checklist. But when you have a grand view, a vista view, if you will, of the nation of Israel, there's nothing to criticize. And that is that. Okay, so actually talking about who loves Israel. Well, I came across an article. I don't know where it was. It might have been the Times of Israel. But according to a, I think it's a Pew study, you know, the Pew Research Center, they really have to come up with a better name. Israel is the second most pro-America country in the world. And the poll found that Israelis have more positive view of the United States than Americans by some measures. Now, I found this fascinating because according to this Pew study, again, we see what we see. We see through the eyes of those we surround ourselves with. And I frankly don't know too many people, do I know any people, who think that the Biden administration or that Joe Biden is just this really terrific, this really powerful leader and um you know, a pillar among the nations. And yes, according to this Pew study, what it really says is, hey, Andrea, your vision is very, very limited. It says 87% of Israelis have a positive view of the United States. The only country in which the U.S. has a higher favorability rating is Poland at 93%. And the lowest score was from Hungary at 44%. I don't even, I couldn't profess understand where these um you know where these thoughts are coming from but israel's current view of the u.s is the most positive since 2000 and it improved slightly from that it actually went up 68 percent, and i don't know them 
68% of Israelis have confidence in U.S. President Joe Biden's leader, this is a quote, leadership of world affairs, and is similar to how he's viewed in Sweden, Kenya, Nigeria, Germany, and the Netherlands. I find this fascinating. Never saw it coming. And does the U.S. consider, the question is asked, do they consider other nations in their military proceedings? Oh, yeah, because I'm referring to that Israel's view of Biden improved eight percentage points since last year, um, but did not come close to, again, eye-opening for me, former President Donald Trump's peak of 71% approval among Israelis. Now, here, I mean, I'm off of script. Again, this is really very, very humbling. We think that we know it all. From my perspective, I thought that every Israeli was championing, championing, champion, championing Donald Trump from the rafters and from the rooftops during his administration. They were, they would say they were completely blind to discussions of vulgarity, of anything. But it wasn't true. It was only 71%. And the Trump's high score tied, tied with Barack Obama in 2013. Now, my crowd was not a Barack Obama crowd. It was a Donald Trump crowd surrounding me, deafening. Wow. I have to really give a value, give a value to this Pew study because they are reputable. Very interesting, humbling And guess what? Sometimes it's important to listen to others. All right. So here we have a story out of the news. I got this. It was early. It was right after last show. Let's see. We did last show last week. We did it last Thursday. I love the Thursday show. It really kind of um, sets my heartbeat for the upcoming Sabbath. And I take my excitement and I like to share it with all of you. So, Immediately after the Sabbath, outside of Georgia, I think this is in Atlanta, Georgia, white supremacists um, held rallies out of in several areas in the South in Georgia. It seemed to have been a coordinated effort, brandishing um, swastikas, shouting, antagonizing the worshipers, and. Uh, But what I find most fascinating is that this article is tripping over itself to point out that the behavior of these Jew haters, Jew loathers, would-be Jew killers is aberrant. And there's a lot of excuses, and they always seem to be missing the, the point. And the point is, it's getting worse, and in it's getting worse, It's getting more tolerated. And here you have the rabbi of the committee, this Rabbi Elizabeth Bahar said in a statement that she was in touch with the Jewish community leaders and the synagogue, and they'd be taking steps to ensure security. And what is her quote? In this moment of darkness, let's strive to highlight the light and warmth that Shabbat can provide as we come together to reaffirm the values that define us as a warm, welcoming, loving Jewish congregation. She said, I wish no harm to um, to Ms. Bahar, this community rabbi. But I think the community deserves better. 
And I think that when our leaders, and certainly religious leaders, put Band-Aids on cancer, they are doing their congregations great disservice. And the dialogue has to be, first and foremost, what are we doing here? And will it get better? Or will we keep a blind eye, an eye as a rabbi or a community leader or the beetle of the shul or the sexton or the brought-in cantor? Will I keep my pension? Are we really watching out for one another and asking the hard questions? A very flowery statement. And I'm not picking on her in particular. It's an, exa- it's an example of the kind of platitudes that Jews outside of Israel are being fed to justify the indefensible. My name's Andrea Simitov. Guess what? I'll see you on the other side. Warning. Take cover. The Jewish Truth Bomb is here. The show that will explode all the false narratives and fake news. Join host Lenny Goldberg each week as he wires the news together and detonates it through biblical verses that will deliver a shockwave that will blow you away. Don't miss it. The Jewish Truth Bomb. Every Monday. Be smart. Listen to Israel News Talk Radio in the background while you work and get the latest news and commentary from Israel. Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. Millions of babies are born each year with severe genetic diseases. Screening methods include amniotic fluid tests that are invasive and not without risk. Other tests may only detect less than 10% of known genetic disorders. An Israeli firm called Identify Genetics is working on technology to provide prenatal screening for genetic disorders using a simple blood test from the mother during the first trimester of the pregnancy. Proprietary data science algorithms can provide a comprehensive high-resolution view of the fetus's health. The fetus's DNA is then digitally isolated using a computational process. The fetus's DNA is reconstructed at high resolution. Mutations are located and analyzed, resulting in a genetic report that can help doctors identify genetic disorders early in the pregnancy. For more information on the high-tech world today, visit IsraelTechTalk.com. With your INTR Tech Minute, I'm Bob Aiello. Okay, we're back. Andrea Simonjo, pull up a chair, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I just want one thing we want to just, we're in our, our Torah portion segment. Uh, just a couple of things I want to, I feel perhaps only because she gave this wonderful quote, this uh, Rabbi Elizabeth Bahar, and I was very critical, and I remain very critical of this kind of placating, this kind of pap that we give out, but I have to tell you, I also have to hold feet to the fire, as all of us. I mean, not all of us are necessarily 
um, trailblazers and the responsibility comes with telling people, pick up, move back to Israel. It's not a simple move. But just because something is just because something is difficult does not mean that it isn't the right thing. And I have to also hold the feet to the fire, a statement that comes out of Chabad. Again, Chabad, wonderful things, the, the Lubavitcher movement that has places, the most holy places all over the world peppered around that Jews can find a Sabbath meal, they can find a congregation with which to say Kaddish, they can just find a welcoming home. What do they say? These individuals do not represent the sentiments of the citizens of East Cobb. Um, it was it came out of the Chabad centers. Let us use this unfortunate incident to increase the acts of goodness and kindness, Jewish pride, and greater Jewish engagement. Nice stuff, but it's parallel to the issue. We say boop, 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 boop. I hope it's good enough. Good enough. Okay, and before we go to the Torah portion, I really want to give a shout out. I want to give out a shout out and a vote of support, and I hope you will too, to a professor, a biology professor at Texas Community College, and I know Texas is listening in this morning, and the professor um, whose name is Johnson Varkey, and he has taught at a school called St. Phillips College in San Antonio for 20 years, maybe over 20 years. And he was really, and he was recently fired. And why was this professor of biology, this esteemed professor of biology fired? Because he had the temerity, the chutzpah, the unbridled moxie to state in his biology class without discussing his personal views on, um, transgenderism, human gender, sexuality, anything like that. Probably in a droning voice, he said that um, sex is determined, biological sex is determined by X and Y chromosomes. What happened? Four students stood up, four students who knew better, four students who are forcing the hand of accepted education with all of their woke wisdom walked out and how did the college back him up they fired him they fired him for teaching basic widely accepted concepts of biology write down the school write it down what's the name of the school saint philip's college i've read so so I want to, it's a very long article. I'm not going to read the whole article. What I'm just going to say is that his law firm, he happens to be, uh-huh, he happens to be a practicing Christian. And he hired a Christian conservative law firm to, um, to reinstate him. And the quote from the law firm said, like millions of religious Americans, Dr. Varkey has, sincere, has sincerely held belief that God created humankind, male and female, Listeners, boys and girls, that wasn't even what he was teaching. Squashing. But the law firm said in public university, they can't fire professors for teaching actual science. And this is the thing that absolutely jumped out at Andrea. It is harmful to academic freedom. It's a quote. It is also harmful to religious liberty as the college is sending a message that gas. People of faith are not welcome and need not apply again 
not a religious school, not a Catholic college, a public institution that four students decided this guy ain't woke enough. Okay. There are people in this world. Let's go on to Parsha. Save it. Oh, Canada has joined us. Thank you. Where were you, Canada? I'm giving you a threat. I'm not starting next time unless you are with us. Unless there was something wrong with our uh, information. So thank you. You've joined us. Austria is with us. Welcome. So this week's Parsha, Balak, Torah portion. I have to remember, we're going to keep it English, watching the clock. Okay. There's people in the world who are simply too meddlesome for their own girl, good. I have a relative who, I mean, she was just, she wouldn't go home because she was waiting for the after party dissing of the guests who wore, who did, who said, whose job was on the line. Had to know. King Solomon points out in the book of Proverbs that these are the people that provoke passing dogs and engage in quarrels and controversies that really don't affect them directly. That is the main transgression of Balak, the king of Moab, as described in this week's Torah reading. The Jewish people, they're they're not threatening him or his nation. They're just kind of in the neighborhood. They're around. And what does he do? He hates them. And he exploits their presence for his own personal ambition, his own biases. We all know, if you never knew the word yenta, if you've watched Fiddler on the Roof, saw the movie, saw the play, you finally learned a word that Jewish children know from the time of their births. Don't be such a yenta. We have this tendency to be busybodies, have to know the, the, the plethora of gossip columns, the plethora of news from Hollywood. And so this is going to improve our lives, our precious time on this earth, and I have to know what's going on with, I don't know, fill in the blank, my favorite, the Kardashians. I still don't know what they do. But we got to know. And the Talmud decries those who stir up these, 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 that makes controversies, especially when they're not personally involved or affected by the issue at hand. Really, there are some things that have nothing to do with us. King Balak, he didn't like the Jewish people. He was always looking to just erase them from his orbit. So according to Rabbi Wine, Balak is aware that currently he is in absolutely no danger from Jews. And even though they are bypassing his borders, Jews aren't interested in conquering his land. So what does he do? Perhaps to deflect his own crises, and we see this ourselves, we see this in the world of politics today. A leader has so much going on in their country, what do they do? They decry Israel, they defame Israel. 
I ask a New York congresswoman what Israel has to do with the poverty and the homelessness in her community in Queens. My child protecting the border is not is not related to her paycheck. But just like Balak, they pick fights with the Jewish people. And indeed, they're picking fights with God himself. And they pose as champions of all the nations that are threatened by the mere existence of Gasp, the Jewish people. So what does he do? He finds a willing partner with the prophet Balaam. And together they devise a scheme to curse the Jewish people and thereby weaken them. Eventually, aha, master plan, eliminate them from the earth. What's really going on? He's concealing his inherent and near biological hatred toward them with high-sounding principles, justifiable motives. Indeed, let's create the UN. In the end, Balak is simply meddling in issues that have nothing to do with him and his work at hand. You know, and we witness this phenomenon in the world. Certainly, certainly, as I stated, with the holy state of Israel, all the world is concerned. Everybody, everybody's tripping over themselves with the situation regarding the Israels and the sick Palestinians. That's S-I-C. You want to add a K, that's yours on you. No one seems to be willing to let the parties, you know what? If they would stay out, I promise you, I promise you, Israel and the Arabs would work it out. But no. Everyone has a say-so. Everyone has something to toss in. Everyone has something to share. This is the curse of Balak, the curse of the busybodiness. Bilam. Bilam is this prophet. And it said he was a brilliant prophet. It's very funny. The year goes by. I remember last year discussing in great detail how he and Moses, actually, they were intersecting levels of brilliance and nevuah, the the holy ability to prophesize. But we're going to discover what the differences are. Bilam could be compared um, which safer is this? I can't remember where my source is. Um, well, it's really right from it's a it's a it's from the it's from the Gemara. There's a discussion that says Bilam could be compared to a king's butcher, because although the king is aware of his lovely dinner, his beautiful that beautiful sirloin steak, the king has really very little regard for um, for for the butcher. Why? He's the king. The closeness between a king and his butcher is, on the best, a weak one. But that closeness between God and Moses is that of a truly personal relationship. One in where Moses could be called, indeed, even a confidant, 
of Hashem and, and one complete in every possible form of what we call Dvekos. Dvekos is a strong spiritual adherence. You know, we see from the book that what Bilam did, in fact, he had the potential to rise to the heights of a Moshe. But what does he do? He goes out of his way to lead a life of depravity, immorality. Here's a great word, licentiousness. Did you ever use the word licentiousness in a real conversation? And because of this, the Mishnah lists Bilam as one of the seven people who have no portion in Olam Haba, the world to come. So what does that even mean? Let's take it a step further. So commenting on this, Rabbi Chaim Voloshin, he compares Moshe to an eagle and Bilam to an, to an owl. Both of these are very important birds. Both the eagle and the owl, they're both aware of the sunrise and the sunset with a significance tailored to their very own, you know, their individual, their independent, what's the word? Um, their tough key, their, their missions. Sorry, I was having trouble finding words here. I tell you about Hebrew. One of the things we talk about is that you don't really learn a lot. You lose your native language. You lose your English. But it's not really replaced with Hebrew. You just begin to be illiterate in a couple of languages. You know, the eagle loves the sunlight. The eagle rules the skies with grace, glory, dignity. However, he hides himself at the time of sunlight. We've never heard the story about an eagle soaring at night. And in the same way, at the time when God's countenance was shining down, Moshe, like an eagle, sees fit to give over prophecies, bestowing goodness upon Klal Yisrael, the nation of Israel. But Bilam, on the other hand, he is also very aware of time, but he chooses not to utilize it. Instead, putting his prophecies in hibernation until the time of darkness, the time of God's anger. It's only through a miracle in which Hashem causes Bilam to divert his darkness of cursing the Jewish people to blessing them. I always try to envision that. You want to spew, you want to curse, you want to belittle. And yet, just as, what's the miracle? So often we want to be kind, but the things coming out of our mouths, we, we almost feel this little bird on our shoulder saying, stop talking, don't go there, don't go in, you're going negative. But we can't stop ourselves. But imagine not being able to stop ourselves for the good our original Midrash, it also points out that vile character of Bilam by commenting, quote, the prophets of Israel keep their people away from sinning, whereas the prophet from the nations of the world wanted to destroy a nation. Many questions about how Bilam managed a man with such potential, such raw hope could sink to such a low level given 
those indeed God-given abilities. And so the Chafetz Chaim attempts to provide us with this answer based on the manner in which the portion is written. This is fascinating, at least to me it is. Physically examining um, the Torah, all of the sentences comprising this be uh, the Balak Bilam circumstance, okay? Everything except the last nine sentences of this Torah portion are written as one continuous event, one long paragraph. I couldn't believe it without any breaks or spaces. Now, in every other um, every other uh, um, little portion in the Torah, there are spaces between the words, signifies signifying the end of a particular thought segment, giving us time to. Uh, imbue the message, and the spaces signal the reader to pause, to reflect, to institute dialogue. However, in the Sedra of Balak, there are no spaces. There are no breaks between the sentences. The Chavetz Chaim contends that this is the key to Bilam's failure because he didn't stop. He didn't take a moment to properly investigate the situation to the fullest extent before lashing out, taking action. An idea just for this this week's um, Shabbos table. I know what we'll be talking about. This king of Moab, and another time, not for today, we're going to discuss. Your homework assignment is to understand the source of the word Moab. Okay? And say, is it the modest name of a kingdom or not so much? So here we have Balak, and he's seeking the help of Bilam to curse B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, following their victory over the Emorites. Okay? So the sages point out that Balak displayed at least one redeeming characteristic. What was his one redeeming character? He was honest. He didn't cloak himself. He was very forthright in his belief, and he made no attempt to conceal his absolute hatred, his despising of B'nai Yisrael. And so it might be worth discussing at our Sabbath table how indeed anti-Semitism, which I will impress upon you, is real. It is not imagined. Discuss how anti-Semitism is harder to detect, harder to combat, combat when it's concealed as opposed to when it's in the public eye. Okay, we're not, we're almost done. We're almost done. We're almost ready for Shabbos, but Andrea has to put on her glasses now. Oh, look at this. Brazil and Ireland have joined us. Okay, you guys have to go back to the beginning of the podcast where I scold you for not being here earlier. All right. Um, so we, we're understanding now the cast of characters. So both Moshe and Balaam, they make their own marks. They leave an indelible monument on history. Bilam was given not only the gift of prophecy by God, he left a monument of falsehood, trickery. But not only was he given this gift, again, of prophecy, in one area, and all of the sages agreed, 
He was actually superior to Moshe. So according to the Gemara, if you have to know, it's Brachot 7, he was the only person to have been privileged to know the exact period of God's anger. Moshe didn't have this perception. So why is this? Again, we're going to go back to Rabbi Chaim Velozhin. He answers by bringing forth an analogy. Okay, we talked about the eagle and the owl. Now we're going to talk about an eagle and a bat. The eagle and the bat both know the times of the rising, the setting of the sun, but for the opposite reasons. The eagle glories in the sun's rays. While in the darkness, what happens to an eagle? He he goes back to the airy because he's blind and he's incapacitated at night. But on the other hand, the bat finds pleasure only in the gloom and the shadows of the night, and he shrinks from the light of day. We know popular folk, folk culture, when his sight becomes dim. But both of them feel the coming of the dawn, but different, perceptible sensations, because for the eagle, it means clarity and vision and joy. And for the bat, we're talking obscurity, confusion. So the perceptions of Moshe and Bilam can be likened in exactly this kind of a contrast. Bilam was sensitive to the nighttime. Indeed, this is when he became alive, as it were, of God's wrath with Israel. His desire was to curse. And it was therefore Bilam who was conscious of the exact moment of God's rage. And what does he do? Oh, we know these people, don't we? He seized the moment, but with glee. To Moshe, this moment of wrath was blurred, veiled in darkness and dread. But goodness and love of God, for Moshe Rabbeinu was like a radiance or a dawn before his sight. It beamed. It was, it was crystal, like, like, like prisms in a vase. Both prophets, I guess we could say, were granted those same powers of vision. But at this point, those personal qualities, the values of each came into play. And I must interject values with which we, created in God's will, can build upon, can improve, can alter, can tweak. We are not made of stone, immovable, we're flesh and we're blood, and we can be better. But Bilam glorifies in his moral weakness, his greed, his egoism, and these infantile, childish notions of morality, selective values. Bilam enters into a conversation. He's so filled with himself, he gets into a heavy chit-chat with his donkey, without any sense that it's strange, it's incongruous. He's so puffed up. He's so conceited. He is so overwhelmed with his own sense of importance. He doesn't even, he doesn't even perceive his moral obtuseness. Moshe, on the other hand, leaves a legacy of closeness, morality, complete and delicately honed spiritual perception and a sharply defined understanding of God's will. 
indeed their capabilities were similar, and yet their 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 accomplishments directly contrasting. So Rabbi Miller views this episode in the Torah. He draws on the relationship between the talents and moral qualities. And Rabbi Miller says, talents are given by God and his wisdom to each individual according to his purpose and function in the world. And we all have a purpose and function in the world. It is for the individual. Here we get back to what I just said. They both have the ability to hone, to tweak, to better themselves. It's for every one of us to exploit those gifts that we've been blessed with to the greatest spiritual advantage, to develop morally. Every person must use our own tools to carve out our own contribution and perfection. Second here. But how can we perceive the level of our contribution? An answer can perhaps be given with the following. Again, Rabbi Avidor Miller, he, he, he learns from this um, portion that in our daily prayers, okay, in our daily prayers, all souls, this is, you know, it says, we say, all souls praise his name or each person according to his praise. And we've said this before. You can have three men attending the Shabbat, the third meal, the afternoon meal. We call it the Sudash Lishit, the third meal. One of them is so excited about the rabbi's talk, the drasha. While the second, he's so excited. He's so moved by the um, songs that are being sung. We always sing in those afternoons. And yet the third, the only thing you can talk about is how good and fresh the herring was. According to Rabbi Miller, you can tell the essence of a person by what he talks about and by what excites him. Bilam became excited over money and honor, while Moshe became excited when his beloved people were suffering or facing divine punishment. All of us at the end of our days will have to ask the question, what will be my contribution, my monument? Indeed, it may be just in that which excites us. My name is Andrea Simintov, and I wish you Shabbat Shalom Umivorach from Jerusalem.